Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Uh, I suppose I should be talking about the inflation numbers, but I think we'll have a you know a few days to be able to absorb that. Uh, obviously, it's going to overshadow a lot that's uh, that's going on here. Uh, our guest today is Dana Milbank, a columnist with the Washington Post. And uh, I was just telling uh, Dana that the last, I don't know whether he remembers this or not, but the last time we were actually physically in the same place, he remarked that uh, his arms were getting sore because he was you know, spending so much time just putting his hands on his head going, I can't believe this is going on. So h- how are you, by the way? It's okay. And I've <laughs> continued doing it so much that I can now do a deadlift of uh, 500 pounds. Okay. So there's, there's the arms have been in the air. There's the upside to all yeah. of that. So I'm, I'm a bodybuilder. Yeah. Do you, do you get a, I, I get asked this question all the time. I have to ask you because I know that you, you take this seriously. Do you get exhausted just to get exhausted by it? Just the daily insanity, crazy dumbness of it all? I think so. It's not an exhausted, I need to sleep exhaustion. Yeah. It's a, a psychic uh, exhaustion. Right. I mean, in a way, and I don't know, this may be true of what you do as well, but actually writing the column is easy. It's more like triage, like which outrage am I, I going to have to focus on because there are so many. So in a way, it's easier than actually, you know, having to do the, you know, hard work of going out and finding uh, stuff to write about. Um, but I think it's it, the psychic exhaustion is just there's an unrelenting threat to our way of life, our, our democracy. And, you know, we thought, or at least I thought, you know, briefly that we'd at least have a little reprieve there. And it really doesn't feel like that's happened. So, you know, I sort of crossed the tape of the, uh, of the marathon of uh, the, the last four years or five years. And then you realize it, the whole thing is just, it's continuing. I mean, the insurrection and now at, you know, some lower level of constant uh, challenges and, and things that nobody in our, uh, in our democracy and our, uh, civil culture had tolerated for generations. I think that's part of the thing. That's part of the frustration, of course, is that there used to be some sort of a guardrail. There's certain, you know, you'd come up against it and people would go, well, we can't cross that line. Obviously, we're going to, you know, a healthy political party won't tolerate X, right? Yes. A healthy political culture won't tolerate this kind of behavior, which, of course, leads us right into uh, Paul Gosar and Kevin McCarthy. Speaking of frustrations, I, I think that sometimes you feel like, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I feel like we're in this loop. Uh, so last night I was on one of the cable shows and was asked, well, is Kevin McCarthy going to do anything? And, and of course, I stopped listening at that point because, well, like, stop me if you've heard this before. But no, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy is not going to do anything about Paul Gosar, who's clearly mentally challenged as well as a bigot and a lunatic and all of the other things, you know, making the, the, these bizarre, weird threats against AOC and Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy and the Republican conference are not going to do anything. How many times do we have to go through this cycle? Yeah, I think that's right, Charlie. And I, I, I think I've been getting it wrong. You know, each time McCarthy refuses to do something, I've been saying he's weak, he's afraid, he's a coward. But you know what? When you get to, I don't know, the hundredth one of these, uh, I, I'm not. I don't think it's weakness. I think it's tacit approval at the very best. Um, you know, forget about uh, stripping people of committee assignments or some sort of a formal reprimand. He's not even like calling reporters back, or or his staff isn't even. Uh, calling reporters back. Uh, you know, at some point, uh, when you just keep letting this 
stuff go. You're complicit in it. it, uh, uh, it you know, we've had this problem uh, for some time now with you know increasing uh, partisanship, but weaker parties, and they have lost the ability. You know, whether, whether it's you know because of dark money or you know gerrymandering. You know, there's a million different uh, uh, explanations for it, and party leaders have lost the ability to police their ranks, but. At this point, you know, there, there's not even uh, even a feeble attempt to do it. Uh, and at the same time, you know, McCarthy is, you know, still having Trump come back to spread the election lies to the House Republican caucus. So he's complicit. Um, I don't know what he believes uh, in his brain, in his uh, heart, but uh, very clearly uh, he is he's no different from uh, Gozar or, or Green or the others because He's he's the head of this caucus that is unapologetically uh, proposing these things on a daily basis. And, and it, it's it, it's it's hard to figure out how he, he got here. Maybe it's not hard at all. It's you know maybe maybe in the beginning it was fear, and now it's become habit. Um, and at some point, habit becomes actually I'm okay with all of this. I mean, there there's there's clearly kind of a trajectory here. You know, at some point, well, we we can't push back because we'll get a tweet and go along with all of yes. this and and at a, at a certain point there's kind of the shrugging of shoulders and saying we're we're all we're all in so last night again somebody was saying well you know the republican party has become now you know a party of you know violence and you know tolerance of violence and i thought you know i'm old enough to remember when the the clearest refutation of that would be the party leader standing up and saying no we are not that and as proof of that uh we are going to be severing our ties with paul Gosar. i mean do you remember dana when 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 Republicans, when when grown up adult political parties would actually say, OK, we're drawing the line and, and, and you've crossed that line and we're done with you. Well, they used to be able to do that. Well, it used to be routine and you right. only have to go, but you don't have to go back that far to, you know, to go to Steve King. Uh, you know, so, you know, even Kevin McCarthy remembers uh, that period. Uh, look, I think we've seen I mean, we've seen enough sort of public signs from Kevin McCarthy. We know about uh, his conversation with Trump on January 6th. We know, uh, you know, he had didn't challenge the account that was uh, given by others that uh, he was outraged and he was horrified. Um, but I do think there's, you know, you, you get into this sort of uh, cognitive uh, dissidence and uh, something between when he had that conversation and we, when he went down to kiss the ring at Mar-a-Lago, he said, I'm just going to have to get uh, on board with this. And I think you're right. Uh, you know, you may be doing this, uh, you may be uncomfortable doing this and saying, well, this is what's necessary uh, to win. But I think in any of these cases, it's kind of a fool's errand to say, what does he really believe? Because, you know, you can't know that. You have to just look at the actions. Uh, and when somebody uh, over, you know, now a period of 10, 11 months is constantly uh, affirming by his silence uh, the, the misbehavior, the anti-Semitism, uh, the racism, the violent uh, rhetoric, you have to say that he believes it um, because, you know, at, at some point you don't keep getting a pass for, uh, you know, kind of averting your gaze. Uh, you know, I, f I feel a little strange saying this, but, you know, you know, uh, uh, McConnell in the Senate, uh, you know, had been a huge enabler of Trump, uh, but McCarthy seems to have exceeded uh, even that. I mean, you do have, you know, some occasional distancing uh, um, by McConnell, and you know he pays the price for it in terms of the abuse he gets uh, from Donald Trump. So McConnell certainly no uh, profile and courage, but uh, I think McCarthy has gone uh, yet another uh, layer below that. 
and, and and Kevin McCarthy is not is not a complete outlier in Republican circles. Uh, the Washington Post has this rather remarkable story today about uh, one of the big time lobbyist donors to the Republican Party. You, you know, let me just read a little bit of this. One day after rioters ransacked the Capitol in a bid to overturn the 2020 presidential election, Republican lobbyist Jeff Verhoff sent a searing email to top GOP officials. He's out. Veroff, a bundler who works at the lobbying firm Aiken Gump, wrote on January 7th that he was appalled by President Donald Trump and the rioters and was resigning as co-chair of the Republican National Committee's Finance Committee. He could no longer associate himself with Trump and his movement, he wrote, and he was distressed by what his party has become. But when Trump spoke to some of the party's top donors last month at a retreat convened at the Breakers Resort in Palm Beach, Florida, Verhoff was one of the attendees, according to two people. So everybody's sort of gotten over it. It's like, okay, this is the line. And one by one, they go, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal. Okay, I'm still all in. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is part of the frustration, is, is, is watching that process. Is the people who, who see the same thing. Yeah, this process has been been going on for five years, you know, and there there'd be you know sort of this uh, you know wave of outrage of protest, uh, uh, whether it was the Access Hollywood or whether it was saying you know a, a Mexican American judge couldn't uh, uh, mm -hmm. judge him, you know the the, the so-called Muslim ban. Like at each stage, you'd have Republicans saying, "Nope, not acceptable," yeah. and then um, you know within a few weeks, okay, it's it's yeah, acceptable, I'm, and this, and this is the world on. we lived in. Yeah, I mean, look, there there are people like you who said, no, I can't, I can't tolerate this. Um, it, it seemed that there were going to be a lot more of those. Um, well, I thought uh, so. And, and you know, the pull of partisanship um, is is something that has been, you know, you know, building for some time. And you know, all, all kinds of social scientists have showed this. It's the leading uh, source of division. Forget about race, gender, uh, ideology. Even it's about party. And unlike with you know race, gender, ideology, religion, uh, people feel no compunction about having unbridled hostility towards somebody uh, from the other party. So this has just been uh, building for a terribly long time. And you know, I mean, we're constantly talking about uh, the the tribalism uh, of it. But you, you know, you see there with those uh, with those lobbyists, they've said. Right, I can uh, stand uh, for my principles uh, and basically lose my livelihood uh, and lose my friends. <laughs> uh, you know, lose the respect of the people I've uh, worked with, um, uh, or I can just uh, go along and get along. So, uh, you know, there's there's a, a, a small hearty band, and I'm uh, talking to one of the leaders of it uh, <laughs> so you, uh, right you, now, and and you know, there's a you know. There's there's a huge price to pay. I mean, you see the is. Wall Street Journal editorial page uh, going mm -hmm. Trumpy. You know, places you just kind of thought were going to be able to resist that. The you know the National Review, uh, mm -hmm. you know, intellectual conservatives even at this point are saying, okay, this is this is all we've got, and I'll go with this because I think it's better than those socialists. Yeah, this is the, you know, but okay, maybe DeSantis will be the answer. But okay, so you made a really interesting point. Just I didn't want to gloss over it. That, you know, Kevin McCarthy is obviously all in on Donald Trump, but but he's gone beyond that. He, you know, he's runs the the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, you know, the big fundraising arm. And the the appeals from the NRCC have been, you know, uber, uber Trumpy. But recently he invites, was it just this week? 
they'd invited Trump to speak at an NRCC uh, event, fundraising event. And so Donald Trump is there as the featured speaker at this fundraising event for congressional Republicans who are not you know, required to join themselves at the hip with the disgraced, twice impeached former president. But under Kevin McCarthy, they are. And Donald Trump does raise, again, the big lie, saying that the real insurrection was November 3rd. And he's trying to normalize this. And what happened on January 6th was just a protest. And Liz Cheney, just sort of on the the flip side of everything we've been talking about, Liz Cheney, is just not having it. And can I just play the soundbite? Because this, she is, she just is bringing, uh, she continues to bring the fire. In case you haven't heard this, this is Liz Cheney speaking within, was it last night or within the last uh, 24, 48 hours? Yes, within the last two days, right? Yeah, Liz Cheney. We are also confronting a domestic threat that we've never faced before. A former president who's attempting to unravel the foundations of our constitutional republic, aided by political leaders who have made themselves willing hostages to this dangerous and irrational man. Mm. Just last night, former President Trump was invited by House Republican leaders to be the keynote speaker at our annual large fundraising dinner. At the dinner, he reportedly said once again that the insurrection was on November 3rd, and that the events of January 6th, when a violent mob invaded the Capitol in an effort to overturn the will of the American people and stop the constitutional process of the counting of electoral votes, that those events were a protest, that they were justified. Political leaders who sit silent in the face of these false and dangerous claims are aiding a former president who is at war with the rule of law and the Constitution. When our constitutional order is threatened, as it is now, rising above partisanship is not simply an aspiration. It is an obligation, an obligation of every one of us. So Dana Milbank, I mean, that that is extraordinary hearing that from Liz Cheney, who, of course, has been ousted from leadership roles. She's a pariah. Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and uh, Madison Cawthorn and Matt Gates are still members in good standing of the House Republican Conference. But mm-hmm. for saying things like that, Liz Cheney has been cast into outer darkness. Yeah. I, you know, I have to tell you, Charlie, I never expected that I would be uh, celebrating anybody with the surname of Cheney as a great <laughs> American uh, hero. Um, but I find I've, I've, I've had this experience over and over again. You know, I covered the Bush, uh, George W. Bush uh, first term as a, uh, 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 on the White House piece beat as a reporter uh, for the post. And when I, you know, talk to one of them now, like Andy Carter, one of the others said, can you remind me what everybody was arguing about back then? Because it it seemed like everybody was at each other's throats. But, you know, when we look back at it, we, you know, everybody was on the same side. Uh, You know, everybody was playing within the rules. Uh, uh, It's, uh, you know, and it it is extraordinary that uh, there is no place for a Cheney in this party. There's no place for a, a Bush in this party. There's no, there would be no place for a Ronald Reagan in this party. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's know, true. the extent to which it, it, it has, uh, it has changed over time. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, so I, I'm grateful for a, a Liz Cheney, but it's, uh, uh, it, it definitely feels like she's, uh, 
uh, blowing against the wind. I mean, you have. Uh, I mean, think about it. This week, you you have uh, uh, members of the House Republican Caucus who voted for a bipartisan infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. something the Republicans have supported uh, for ages, something that was supported by what a couple of dozen of uh, Senate Republicans. They they're not the uh, the Trump Republicans are not just disagreeing. They're not just saying that was a bad vote or a dumb vote or even a socialist vote. They are saying you are traitors to the United States of America uh, because you voted for a piece of legislation that, that by coincidence, uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden also support. I mean, that's it. You're a traitor to your country because you have have voted to have broadband internet for all Americans. You're a traitor. This is almost too easy. The, the 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 contrast between the reaction to the Paul Gosars and the supporters of the insurrection versus the people who voted for the bipartisan bill, by the way, which was supported by 19 Republican senators. Yep. And there is this rage about this that, that, you know, and I think a lot of it has nothing to do with policy, of course. It, it has to do with the fact that, you know, Joe Biden was down. You had a chance to, you know, Give him the you know the the ultimate uh, coup de gras and failed. You you know you you could have made Joe Biden's presidency a complete failure on Friday. Instead, you gave him a lifeline. So it's all about you know n- not having not having cast the vote that would create a failed presidency. I mean that's really become the norm, hasn't it? Is that is that right. is and, that it's, be, it's become that. people you don't are... even pretend. It's like I am now rooting for a failed president. Exactly. And, and in doing so, you're rooting for a failed country. I mean, yeah. that, that's, yeah. uh, you know, at some point you have to say, do you know, uh, uh, do I care what's in uh, the national interest? Uh, and, you know, so we've, you know, you know, we, we've heard in the past about, you know, putting party before country. But I mean, there's there's not really a more uh, pure example of that. Now, OK, you can say, uh, you know, I don't support that uh, legislation on sure. ideological grounds, but to say that people who did. Are, uh, are have betrayed their country or traitors that because they have not in in effect voted for their country uh, to fail. That's uh, that's really alarming, and that's it, that's that sort of psychic uh, tiredness that we you know, we're talking about uh, at the beginning there. That some version of this is happening basically every week. So you can never just take a breath and say, right, hey, you know, I, I actually I'll tell you, I wanted to write a column this week saying. Aren't things just like delightfully boring, you know, like we're not trying to buy Greenland or no. threatening Iran with nuclear annihilation in a tweet this week. But I, it, it doesn't feel right because we're, we're still in a crisis, um, even though, you know, Biden is being relatively boring. Um, well, and, and this is the thing that Liz Cheney gets. The Liz Cheney gets that it is, in fact, um, not normal, that this is an existential threat to to American democracy. And I have to say, you know, I was watching uh, some of the, you know, sniping from the sidelines, people saying, well, Liz Cheney voted against the infrastructure bill, too. Well, yeah, she's a conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is this an existential uh, battle or not? Because if it is, then shouldn't people say, all right, we are going to disagree on a lot of ideological things, but we need to have some unity of purpose on this massive threat, which is still there. She gets it. I'm. I, yes. I think she articulated it stronger than some Democrats have. Yes, we need to have those arguments on uh, matters yeah. of ideology. The problem is we're not having any arguments on ideology. We're having uh, ridiculous arguments about traitors and uh, Farrakhan and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and Ted Cruz talking about uh, seceding uh, from the United States. Uh, you know, the, the part of the problem is that you know 
uh, it party has triumphed uh, over ideology. I yeah. mean, when you think about, you know, w- with the uh, budget busting, trade wars, and end of uh, uh, free people and free markets, to use the, uh, the you know, going back to Reagan uh, and, and to Goldwater, you know, think about the, uh, uh, you know, where uh, Donald Trump took the party. There was nothing conservative about uh, where he had taken the party. Obviously, you know uh, yeah. as much about this uh, as anybody out there, but, you know, Liz Cheney hasn't moved at all. <laughs> it's everybody else uh, uh, who has moved and 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 made her the pariah. But it's, I mean, that she she, of course, she opposed the uh, infrastructure bill. She's a fiscal conservative, um, and that's that's why I said, you know, by all means, vote against the infrastructure bill because you don't believe government should be doing that. That's a healthy debate. That's what we should be arguing about. Um, but uh, you know, but to, you know. So- call people traitors because they are, uh, they just, you know, they're, they're voting their conscience and it, and it just so happens that they agree with the president on something. It's, uh, so let, me, let me, let me play for you one, one more soundbite because of course Liz Cheney was, uh, was ousted from leadership because she just wouldn't move on from January 6th. Of course, you know, the president has <laughs> moved on from this or, or from, from 2020. But as as an indication of what's going on out there in the world, there's a a U.S. Senate candidate, Republican Senate candidate in Arizona uh, named Blake Masters. And I think he's the Peter Thiel uh, back candidate, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Peter Thiel is what is, you know, sort of, you know, throwing millions of dollars around like Skittles to uh, to various deplorable candidates like J.D. Vance. Well, his candidate in Arizona is Blake Masters. And here is Blake Masters' latest ad, a little bit of the audio from Blake Masters' uh, recent ad. I think Trump won in 2020. Maybe you disagree, but you've got to admit, this election was really messed up. We saw states change the rules at the last minute to flood the zone with mail-in ballots. The media, they'd tell any lie in order to hurt President Trump. And big tech censored true information about Joe Biden in the weeks leading up to the election. How is that fair? Trump wins big in a fair fight. I'm Blake Masters. I'm running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. And I approve this message because election integrity is the most important issue. And we got to do so much better if we want to keep this country great. So, Dana, (laughs) you can see how the narrative is slightly shifting now. It's the way they changed the rules. Too many people were allowed to vote by mail. The media lied. The media didn't lie. Trump wins big. They are never going to concede this, are they? Ever, ever. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not sure it's shifted so much as, you know, they're, they're just on any given day or uh, using different pieces of that argument. I mean, that was, you know, that was sort of the sanitized version uh, of the big lie uh, at the very beginning. But, you know, this works. I mean, uh, um, uh, that that's exactly what you want to do in Arizona if you want to get uh, the Republican nomination. Uh you know, and I think this is why you're winding up with this cast of characters, you know, uh, Herschel Walker. And then, you know, it, it, this week, Rick Scott, uh, you know, running the uh, Republican, uh, Senate Republicans uh, uh, election efforts. He would not say uh, whether uh, Sean Parnell uh, in Pennsylvania uh, is the right candidate for the job, uh, even though he's been accused of strangling his wife and abusing his children. That. Our uh, friend there in Arizona, 
Herschel Walker. I, you know, I, I suspect what's happening here is more reputable Republican candidates, uh, genuine conservatives, don't want to be anywhere near this. Uh, so you're getting it's not even a second string. It's 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 way down uh, uh, the tier here, uh, uh, and it's troubling. I mean, not you know, it, I mean, you could turn around and say, oh well, that's great news for the Democrats, but it's not good news for anybody. Um, you know, we, we're now you know. Looking at you know by comparison, like Tommy Tuberville has become a uh, a sainted old bull in the legislature. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Think about that. Think about that. So, speaking of of, of conceding, though, you you wrote about this uh, earlier this week. the The Republican candidate in New Jersey has he has he conceded yet? He lost by two point six percent, which is larger than Glenn Youngkin's winning margin in Virginia. I mean. Youngkin won by what you know less than less than two percent. So the margin in New Jersey is actually greater. But Republican has he conceded yet? I, I haven't checked. Just, I, I don't think so. I haven't. I haven't seen concessions that he had, he had as of yesterday yeah. morning. Um, uh, no, and uh, I mean I've I've written about this, and then that you get sort of the whataboutism and say, well, the state. Uh, uh, this, the Senate uh, president in New Jersey, he lost in this upset and he hasn't yeah. conceded. Okay, guess what? He should concede too. Um, but on the other hand, that's not a, a statewide race, so it's not quite the, the same uh, uh, visibility of this. Uh, but yeah, we've uh, uh, we've now seen that, uh, yeah, I think it's 2.6 percentage points in Virginia and it was down to two uh, percentage points. Uh, but it's not just a matter of not conceding, it's a matter of making a video and said, you know, look, I don't want to, you know, I want people to believe wild conspiracy theories, but you, if you've perceived any uh, irregularities, I want you to let us know. And by the way, right. Republican right. National Committee has sent in all these lawyers who'd be in, hey, they've got a hotline for you to send. So they're basically trawling for uh, 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 fraud complaints. Um, uh, and, you know, it doesn't look like uh, there's a real... Uh, suggestion that there's even going to be a, a recount. It's not a particularly close race. Uh, so he's probably not doing this uh, chitterella. He's probably not doing this to win. He is doing it to discredit the guy who right. did win and to discredit the election. That seems to me to be the game here, not overturning the results, but just uh, raising uh, questions about the legitimacy of the right. guy who won and of the election itself. And that's sort of, you know, that's that's the new generation of the big lie. Yeah, I mean, this is the sort of the, the, the global the global narrative. So, you know, we, we're talking about Sean Parnell and Herschel Walker and Eric Greitens, who are running for, for Senate around the country, even though they've been accused of uh, of various forms of abuse. And, you know, there has been a kind of a self-deportation of sane Republicans here. And I think the big political news yesterday was uh, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu deciding that he didn't want to uh, be a United States senator. He wanted to stay as governor, which I thought was awfully interesting because he basically said he asked around about what it would be like to be a senator. And apparently he didn't actually say this, but, you know, he decided that he didn't really want to be Mitch McConnell's sock puppet or be part of <laughs> be the dysfunction of the Senate. Right. And he figured, hey, I'm going to stay here, which is kind of an interesting commentary on politics because in New Hampshire, he gets to be kind of his own man. But, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, again, I kind of remember when being a senator would be a very, very, very attractive thing. And he says, yeah, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be. Yeah, I wouldn't. he also gets to hint at a presidential run, so that that, yeah. that adds to a little bit of the fun uh, to it. But yes, I I mean I do I think you're seeing this in all kinds of places. Uh, that first of all, the you know the 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 accomplished conservatives uh, aren't interested because they're not interested in the abuse, but they also see uh, that they're not going to be able to compete against the guys who are 
running the ads, tying themselves to Trump. So if you do have uh, integrity, if you do have a conscience, you really don't uh, you don't want to get involved uh, at this point. I mean, look, we we're certainly seeing, and we have been for some time on on in both parties. You have a lot of people, you know, just either not running or you know being reluctantly drafted to run because let's face it it's a it's a pretty ugly job right now uh, no matter uh, what party you're in but uh, so yeah i suppose democrats can look at new hampshire and say hey that's terrific for maggie hassan she's going to have clear sailing right now and maybe that's true but i don't think it's good for democracy um when uh, you know decent qualified people say i want nothing to do with this show so let's talk about the Democrats for a moment um, and the, the the infrastructure bill that they passed and the one that they are still debating. You wrote last week that uh, that if congressional Democrats had moved three months ago to enact Biden's infrastructure uh, legislation and the, uh, the rest of the agenda, the huge stimulus within those bills would already be boosting the economy and creating jobs. McAuliffe could have been boasting about clean energy jobs, broadband, Internet, better roads, bridges and ports. But um that that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. give me your the retrospective. You they finally got around to passing the infrastructure bill. Who knows what's going to happen with Bill Back Better? But this was really kind of a case where uh, some Democrats, particularly the progressives, let the let the perfect be the enemy of the good, and it didn't work out, did it? No, it really didn't. I mean, and, you know, of course, we can't know for sure what would have happened with that uh, counter history. But, uh, you know, I, I, I keep going back to you know uh, Biden's address to the joint session in April when he said, you know, we have to prove that democracy can still mm-hmm. work. Uh, and I, I think that was the essence of what you know what Biden's presidency is about, um, and it remains the essence. And you know, so he handed this to Democrats in the House, show that democracy can still work, and they flubbed it. Um, you know, because they have the Republican Party out there talking about uh, you know critical race theory uh, and uh, attacks on school boards and you know everything, but you know actually actual uh, you know issues that, such as the economy that uh, Americans are actually focusing on. Uh, so I think they did blow it, and uh, you know voters could be forgiven for saying. Uh, okay, so it looks like the Democrats can't govern any better uh, than the other guys. So you know, uh, it, it they've it, it became a less compelling argument uh, for the Democrats. So would there have actually been uh, you know shovel ready uh, projects going? Possibly, and there possibly could have been uh, some benefit. But I think if Terry McAuliffe had had a, a narrative saying, "Hey, Democrats are producing something." Uh, you know, you've you've let uh, uh, democracy have another chance, and we are showing uh, that we can get stuff done, that we can still function, uh, even though the other side is, you know, sort of gone off the rails. But they didn't let him do that. Now the question now is, I think they have learned the lesson. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've got the infrastructure bill through, and maybe uh, we'll get the other one through. Has that? impression that they failed already uh, become so baked in that it's too late. But I, I, I don't know <laughs> what your alternative is other than to now try to uh, correct your mistakes and, and show that you can actually govern this country and uh, give people some reason to uh, keep you in charge. What, what do you think about the reconciliation package, the Build Back Better agenda? Um, there was all kinds of happy talk um, last week, early this week, that that's going to pass in the middle of the month after they get the, the score, et, et cetera. That, of course, is before we get those rather scary in, inflation numbers 
numbers, which, right. uh, I mean, are, 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 will have an effect. I mean, this is something that Joe Manchin has been talking about, the danger mm-hmm. of inflation. So what do you think? Does Build Back Better get uh, get passed or is, is that going to get is that going to get sucked into the morass? Yeah, I mean the problem with handicapping these things is it's not you're not looking at coalitions, you're looking right. inside the heads of two people and one mm-hmm. one of those heads is not terribly rational if i may say so so uh you know you're looking inside the rational brain of uh, joe manchin uh and you know who knows what he's going to do it's it's basically entirely uh, in his hands assuming that uh, once he's on board uh, cinema uh you know wouldn't dare uh, raise any uh, further objections to it so you know i am i am out of the business uh, of making yeah. predictions <laughs> i've already dangerous. had to eat a column once i'm not gonna uh, make these uh, predictions again Again, I you know I do think that the items in that agenda appeal very broadly to Democrats, including Democrats in uh, West Virginia uh, and in Arizona. Uh, you know they can say they were responsible, cut the price tag uh, in half, um, and actually can still you know give uh, American parents help with childcare so they can get back to work. You know I saw Biden this morning making an argument, you know saying these Nobel economists say can actually relieve inflationary pressure. Hmm. Okay, color me a little skeptical yeah. about that one, but uh, um uh you know I, I, I guess he's, he's he might as well uh, make the case for that. So here's here's a a thing that I've been really puzzling about. I think about uh, two weeks ago, I had your colleague, uh, Catherine Rampell, on on the podcast, and, and she made a very, very interesting point that uh, the Democrats had uh, sort of soured on the idea of raising taxes on the rich, which was somewhat politically puzzling because polls would suggest that across the board, people don't mind having billionaires uh, pay higher taxes or millionaires pay higher taxes. Now, I'm speaking as a fiscal conservative who has supported tax cuts in the past, but it strikes me as uh, first of all, just you know, absurd that you have uh, you know billionaires who pay little or nothing in taxes, and this seems to be the populist magic bullet. So, can you explain to me why Democrats are not out there, with, given the fact that they have this this blue collar populist problem? You know, really pushing for significant taxes on the billionaires and the millionaires, um, making sure the corporations pay their fair share. And every single time, and I say this because I know that Republicans would do this, every single time they talk about billionaires not paying taxes, bringing up the fact, and a billionaire like Donald Trump should have to pay the same taxes that you pay. Why are they just leaving that messaging on the floor? I just, it just, as a matter of, you know, blocking and tackling, it's just right there, isn't it? That you could be talking about- yeah, okay. well, I mean, the answer is one word. It's cinema. She's stopping them yeah. uh, uh, from doing this. This, you know, one one time uh, Green Party activist is now a friend of uh, billionaires and and mm. and corporate America uh, and pharma. I mean, so that's uh, that's the practical reason. But I mean, it's it's even beyond that. Saying you know taxing, you know soaking the rich. Yes, that's good politics. But you can also say cracking down on tax cheats, right. rich tax cheats. Yes. I mean, it it, uh, it you know I mean they're they're all they're sort of seeding the fields of the Republicans, saying you know the IRS is going to be spying on you. Well, actually, no. They're uh, they're they're going to be cracking down on the uh, uh, billionaires who have been hiding their taxes so that you, average American, have to pay more. Uh, really so it, it seems to me there's only, as a political matter, you know, set the economics aside, as a political matter, there should be only upside in this. Uh, so I, I mean, I think that's, 
the, the biggest selling point of Build Back Better more than any of the you know individual policies, um, uh, you know, in term, just in terms of the politics. Right. And, and, and also, I mean, this is something that I think Republicans have, the, the right wing has done a better job at. They know how to freeze and focus on their target. And so if, if this was turned around, um, they would bring up Joe Biden every single time that they talked about this. And Democrats, I'm trying to think the last time I heard Democrats talk about the need to make the tax system more fair because billionaires like Donald Trump don't pay taxes. I mean, that goes right at the heart of his populist appeal. And I guess this is one of those moments where I go, okay, you people really are kind of not great at politics. Okay. So Dean, right. I think there's this sense that, you know, if we just explain a little more about the (laughs) child tax credit, the people are really going to get it and they're going to understand the refundability. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Um, I have this white paper to show you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's the refundability. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think that, you know, it's sort of this, it's sort of this wonk disease that, uh, uh, you yeah, know, I think Democrats have always had, uh, and they, you know, they're, they're the party of explaining. Uh, and then, you know, you have the Republicans running around saying the IRS is going to spy on you. Never mind that that particular provision, which isn't what it was anyway, has been taken out of the bill. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, I, I mean, there's, you know, there's something shameful about sort of simplifying and demonizing, but uh, the, the Democrats are kind of ridiculous. With speaking, the- speaking of simplifying and demonizing, I, I, I have been reluctant to talk about this because I don't want to come off as the, the old guy yelling at the clouds or kids these days or whatever. But I, you, you did write about the, the whole let's go Brandon thing. And you said, could the contrast be any greater? Half of America's leaders are trying to govern and the other half are hurling vulgarities. And of course, let's go. Brandon is basically F you, Joe Biden. I guess part of the thing is, okay, I'm, I'm, it's not the big, you know, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's just so, it's just so stupid. <laughs> it's the, yeah. it's the juvenile sniggering. It's the, you know, the, 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 the nastiest kid on the playground type stuff. Let's go, Brandon. And, and, and for some reason, this has become a thing of elected officials who are doing this. And it's, I don't know, this is going back to our original discussion about being, you know, exhausting and frustrating. Sometimes it's just the stupidity of it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to come up with a vulgarity, come yeah. up with something at least clever. <laughs> you know, I wonder if it's stupidity. I mean, there, there. Look, there were always vulgar chants at, uh, at political rallies on on all sides. Um, you know, I've heard the uh, uh, "Let's Go Brandon" and the other version of the yeah, chant yeah. Uh, at Yunkin uh, rally that I went to. I didn't write about it; I didn't right. make any. But yeah. you know. Uh, it, I think it took a different turn uh, when uh, Doug Andres, the uh, spokesman for McConnell, tweeted out, uh, let's go, Brandon. And, it's, you know, it's different when, you know, Ted Cruz is promoting it. So, uh, you know, that's the difference is it's, uh, you know, there's yeah. always going to be this uh, vulgarity out there, it's, you know, in the press, in the popular culture. Uh, our leaders are supposed to say, "Hey, okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna rise above that." Uh, instead, they are actually the ones uh, encouraging it. The uh, "Let's yeah. go, Brandon." The talk of traitors. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's riling up the uh, uh, the uh, extremes rather than uh, tamping it down. So, uh, and again, this this may seem old, but so just just remind me. Ted Ted Cruz has a degree from where? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Princeton and uh, and Harvard. I think that's probably the problem. Okay, so yeah. he's 
he's Josh he's Hawley, war. Yale. Yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and they're at war with Big Bird right now. Yeah. And it, 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 I don't know whether or not Ted Cruz has become just addicted to being a troll or whether he just thinks that's what voters want. But it, this is, again, it's like you guys are pretty smart. And yet you've decided that you're almost literally going to become cartoon images of yourself. Well, I mean, look, the way things work now is uh, fame is power. If you're getting attention in social media, uh, uh, if you are uh, fomenting outrage, guess what? You're going to get a segment uh, on Fox News. Uh, and, And when you have that visibility in social media and Fox News, you have power over your leadership. Uh, so it's entirely rational. Uh, you know, the more outrageous you are in effect, the more power you have right now. Uh, This is the, the, the triumph of the entertainment wing of the Republican party rather than the substantive wing or the policy wing. Entertainment ring or the the outrage uh, wing. Uh, It's, uh, I mean, if, if only it were just entertainment, but it's the idea is who can be, um, uh, you know, the most vulgar, uh, the most out of bounds in, in terms of, uh, you know, Jewish space lasers, uh, <laughs> the most out of bounds in, in terms of uh, suggesting that, you know, people who have a, even a slight ideological difference with you are traitors to the country. So I, I don't think that I'm naive about this, but I'm still, I can, I, I continue to be shocked by the way that politicians like, like Ted Cruz and Ron DeSantis and and the right wing media have decided they're going to demagogue the issue of vaccination. Mm-hmm. We have 750,000 Americans dead and their their willingness to be so cavalier about this or to mm-hmm. spread disinformation I have to tell you Dana it's still breathtaking to me. Yeah. Uh, to the extent now we have uh uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene making common cause with uh, Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Well, that uh, was inevitable. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right. You could have like seen the convergence. Like we could have predicted this for right. you know, when they would actually intersect and, and yeah. overlap. Let me check my notes when I predicted that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, thank God the, the numbers are going down, but it's almost like the, the, the effort now has to be redoubled to, uh, uh, to make sure that nobody else gets vaccinated, God forbid. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's, I, I mean, look, I've been listening to your uh, podcast uh, about the outrage of, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson and others all along the way. I, you know, I, how many thousands of Americans died because they were told that these vaccines were unsafe. But uh, see, if, if you and I were talking about this in, say, February of last year, which is not that long ago, and we, we would have you know, considered the possibility of well, what happened if 200,000 Americans died from this mm-hmm. or 400,000 or 500,000. And th- mm-hmm. At this point, we would be like, OK, that's not going to be that bad. If we would have known that 750,000 yeah. Americans would die, wouldn't we have assumed that this would be just this sobering shock to the political system yeah. that no one would dare to be reckless or irresponsible well, about we it? did have it, Charlie. Remember that uh, there was that point at which, uh, you know, you know, 
it actually sobered Trump at one point, and he said, you know, the, the forecasts are saying we're going to have 2 million, 2.2 million people die from this. That's mm-hmm. when Trump said, okay, we'll shut things down for a couple uh, of weeks. And he said, if we do that, we'll be able to limit it, I, I think it was like to 200,000 or maybe even a little less, and then we'll be really doing a good job. And I remember people saying, 200,000, that sounds really bad. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, here we are, quadruple uh, that number. Here we are. Dana Milbank, thank you so much for coming on the Bulwark Podcast. Appreciate it very much. It is much. an honor to be uh, with you, Charlie. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.